What is up, Red Bull fans? You are listening to the I Have Information that can lead to the rest of the referee from Saturday show. The Energy Drink Sucker Show. Show, 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 show. We are joined by a new guest this new season. Joining us is Martinez Not Jose from Wanta Metro. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Just got back from class. Awesome. Excited to be here. Awesome. It's a, it's a new season. How are the vibes so far for you as a Red Bull fan? Man, last, last night was a journey. I, I told my mom, Red Bulls were back. She just sighed, and she was right. Yeah, yes, the Red Bulls are back to missing chances. The New York Red Bulls lost 1-0 in South Florida, Central Florida, I think it is Central Florida, to Orlando City. And uh, the U.S. Open Cup Summit Final Revenge game, we didn't get revenge. Greg, what are your thoughts about the game? Uh, terrible. We need to sell everyone. And no, actually, although very disappointing, this was probably the most Red Bulls way to lose a match. Um, dominate for pretty much entire game, be the better team, and then lose on a fluke. Uh, I think it's important to not overreact. And this is still a good team. We finished fourth in the conference last year. Everyone knows that. So we just regroup, get the mentality back and fix those same problems that have been there for a really long time. Well, we have uh, 30 fans that say that overreacting is actually the best um, approach to this podcast. What do you think about that? I think overreaction is uh, perfect. I feel like Struber should be fired and everyone should be sold. Oh, yeah, definitely. Sell everyone except for Tom Barlow. And rebrand as like... We could just promote all the Red Bulls 2 kids. There's mm. no Metro stars. Well, let's actually look at some big picture thing because this early in the season, results, um, they do matter to an extent, but it's kind of interesting to see how the team is setting up for the year. So after about 30 years of trying to implement the system, the New York Red Bulls came out in a 4 triple two formation. There were a lot of good things we saw from it, but Greg, what are your thoughts about the formation, how it looked in the first half? I thought it looked good, went exactly according to plan. The commentators were talking a lot about how we were hogging the midfield, and it was working really well. Orlando barely had anything through the middle. Uh, in particular, I liked that, I think it's his, name, his first name is Martin, but their new signing, Ojeda, brand new cam, DP, barely had any touches on the ball. Um, instead, they were forced to play out to the wings. Halliday, their right back had a lot of touches. I forgot the name of their left back, but he had a lot of touches. So they reduced a lot of crossing. So I like that. On the offensive end, uh, a lot of cutting inside from the wingers, Morgan and Lucinius, which is, I guess, exactly what Struber wanted. Long balls to Barlow and Manuel up top. So pretty much everything you can expect from the 4 triple two, even if it didn't necessarily result in the win. Exactly. So look at the starting lineup. There weren't really that many surprises. Uh, it's kind of even following the preseason. It's kind of what we've been going with. A player we probably missed definitely was Drew Yearwood, but uh, Frankie Amaya, he had some good moments. Uh, we'll talk about that mischance a little bit later, but 
Oh, man. I want to talk about a certain player, Mr. Andre Reyes, uh, the wild card that is Mr. Reyes. So um, I'm not sure you remember. Do you remember the yellow card early in the game? Yes. And Very funny. Do you remember the yellow card Tom Barlow got in the beginning of the second half? Even funnier. Greg, what are they seeing? Uh, why are they blocking the keeper? I mean, it's partly a psychological thing, trying to throw up Gallese. He's one of, been one of the best keepers in the league for a really long time. On the practical side, short term, you want to stop the counterattack, but it's more just getting in their heads, making the game physical right from the get-go. Both of those fouls were within the first 10 minutes of each half, so really just imposing yourself, saying, we're going to play a physical game. This is how I want to play the game. And two yellow cards, I thankfully, didn't cost the team, but might have been necessary. Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, the thing about it is that, you know, Ray is getting that early yellow. It kind of changes the way you defend the rest of the game. And Ray's had a pretty good game, in my opinion. He was very physical. Uh, you can tell he's an old classical defender. He likes to defend. He likes to be aggressive. And it's kind of a theme from last season where Red Bull really did set the pace of the game from early on. They were definitely the more energetic side, the side that was definitely pushing forward more. And Orlando just came out so so slow in my opinion they really they didn't have a shot really to the second half i'm pretty sure the first shot of the game was a penalty and like you it were was. saying earlier ojeda it, it's kind of like that pity martinez performance from red bull arena a couple years ago where this guy is a dp and like he looks like a guy from a sunday league team and the guy just this didn't create anything and it's kind of goes credit to that midfield our midfield was really compressed there was no space Orlando's really trying to attack from outside. They had Halliday, their fullback, really pushing forward. And their whole attack, pretty much the first half, was non-existent. But um, let's talk about some uh, chances uh, early in the game and uh, some uh, two-forward interplay. So Tom Barlow and Elias Manuel, not clear chances. I think Elias had one clear chance, but they had really good connections. Tom Barlow having world-class hold-up play. What do you make about Barlow and Elias's connection in the first half? I mean, everyone on Twitter will know that I am a rabid supporter of Tom Barlow. Can he walk one over the top for Barlow? He does. Barlow hits it down. for New York! But this is genuinely one of the best performances I've ever seen from him. Excellent, excellent hold to play. Exactly what he wants from a nine. Perfect layoffs, great touches, winning all his aerial duels. Singles for Manuel, although he was more explicitly involved in the attack, had that one chance that he somehow pulled wide. But again, exactly what Struble will want from his strikers, going wide when the ball is on the ground, trying to put some crosses in, and when you're just hoofing it towards the center, winning headers, getting it off to the wingers, trying to start an attack. Definitely. Well, how do you feel about, um, I guess, the two-striker formation? Do you think it's a good way for us to continue throughout the season? We've got four first-team strikers right now. Barlow, Manuel, Burke, and hopefully Van Azir, who I don't necessarily think projects with an out, out and out nine but that's what people are saying so i'll go with it so i think we definitely have the personnel to play a two-man up front is their best only time will tell but i think it's definitely something that we should look into because it's the red bull style of play and we have the personnel for it even in other positions so might as well try well this leads me to my next question let's say middle of the season teams in prime form who are the best two strikers to stick up top as much as I hate to say it, Manuel and hopefully Vanazir if he comes in to play. Mm. So you like the two five, the two short guys. You don't want a big short guy or two big guys. You like the two guys who can interchange a lot. 
I love me a good big man and small man combo. Use it all the time on FIFA, and it just it just looks nice. Yeah, but you know, just for you, I think they will start Barlow with Van Zier. I hope they do. Well, well, that's the first half. Um, it was a uh, Red Bull had a lot of half chances, a lot of good uh, forward connections. I really liked the uh, the way Reyes and Nealis uh, definitely were physical in the first half. Second half was uh, pretty interesting as well. I think John Tolkien had a, an amazing second half. But we have to talk about that Frankie and Maya chance. I'm not sure how much uh, you remember what happened, but um, he did have a good opportunity to lay it off. But, I mean, he had a pretty good strike on him. It was probably the best chance of the game. What do you make about that chance? I mean, it, he had a really good chance to lay it off. I thought he was going to lay it off. Everyone thought he was going to lay it off. Then he cuts back inside, shapes up for the shot. And I think he just pulled it straight wide. So it's a little bit of indecisiveness. Not sure if he's going to pass, not sure if he's going to shoot. Amaya is a guy who a lot of potential. I really like his game, but didn't play that much last season. Got frozen out at random moments by Struber. So could potentially be a confidence thing. Could potentially be a one-off thing. We don't know. We'll have to keep seeing. Depends how much Amaya keeps playing and how much Struber trusts him going forward. Do you think he's the best uh you know, of the two central midfielders, should he be a consistent starter for us? 100%. I think his two-way play, when he's at his best, is one of the best ball progressors I've seen in MLS in a long time. Him and Drew Yearwood, scintillating duo. Definitely. I think we definitely missed Drew last night. Uh, he's just his ball progression, even uh, even shooting like in a position like that, was the en- energy Drew brings. I feel like you're kind of limited when you start the CCJ and Frankie because that ball carrying isn't at the elite level I think Drew brings. So it's something definitely Struber has to consider going forward in games like this where it's against a low block and you need a guy to actually like push the ball forward instead of passing it sideways and trying to cross into some 5-7 forwards. But, you know, going forward into the game, 55th minute, Orlando have a corner. Uh, Was it a penalty or not? I don't want to speak about it, uh, because if I speak about it, uh, uh, if I speak about it, maybe I have to go to the FA for a visit. Maybe I have to stay in the stands for a few weeks. Maybe I have to spend some, some money instead of spend money with Christmas gifts. And I prefer not, not to speak about it. I have a lot of respect for Mr. Paul. He's, he's top referee. I have a, a good relation since... Uh, before I arrive here in international matches before, he's one of the best in the world. I, I respect that, and I don't want to speak in the second one. Absolutely not. That that should not be a penalty. Even if it is what the rules of the game are, we got to change the rules. Like, man. It's, it's so hard because I feel like it's a different rule every game. It really, sad to say, kind of depends on how the referee is feeling at that moment. VAR is... VAR literally has different rules. I thought VAR was going to be the third party in all of this to just, you know, be objective about it. But somehow they say if it touches another part of your body, like your chest and your hand, it's not a handball. But this became a handball. And this referee, from what I saw, is really biased towards home team. So I don't get the call at all. I know I used to play club soccer back when I was in high school. And if that got called on me, I know everyone would have been screaming because it's so hard to judge, especially live. What does it touch first? Does it touch the thigh? Does it touch the hand first? If it touches the thigh, is it too fast to get your hand out of the way, even if he does extend the arm? There's just so much nuance to it. And it's hard to write a perfect handball rule, but 
when you give that much liberty to the referee to make a call like that, it's difficult to see the point, honestly. Because the only argument I could see them making, like looking at it again, is that he used his arm as an extension of his body, but even if it's still touching the chest, they still blocked it initially from a legal part of the body. And it's hard to, you know, just move your hand out the way like that. So I just don't get the call. So Orlando uh, convert on a penalty, Facundo Torres. And then they really, that was perfect for them because they could just sit in that little block that they perfectly, um, that they were comfortable in. And how do we beat these low blocks this year? What can we do different? I mean, the way to beat a low block is just fast passing, ball progression, get it. It's not so much the long ball strategy that you use 80th minute onwards. Just try and unlock that defense. Again, quick passing. Be direct but precise and we don't necessarily have the creative players besides the guy like Lucinius to do that a lot of our guys are just going to try and dribble take a shot from distance and sometimes that works but it's a very inconsistent manner of breaking it down yeah well moving forward in the game uh, Gerhard Struber uh, made some substitutions first he brought on Corey Burke in the 67th minute and, uh, I mean, I know Corey had some injuries in the preseason. I don't think he had any clear chances. So I can't really fault him for, uh, I guess, not really – I don't, I don't want to say not doing anything, but getting a clear chance. And then later on, this is the substitution I want to ask you about. Why did Peter Stroud come in for Lucinius instead of Omir? I had to get the debut. Yeah. Um, but seriously, I'm not sure. Maybe Omir wasn't ready at that point. Struber's substitutions have been something that's been complained about for a long time. Not just the substitutions themselves, but the timing of the substitutions has been horrible. He didn't make his first one until the 68th minute I'm looking at now. And Peter Stroud didn't come in until the 79th. You're giving your fresh legs about 10, 15 minutes to make a difference on the game. That's almost impossible, especially when you're chasing a game. So Peter Stroud coming on. I mean, look, it's not like we had great options off the bench. Maybe Edelman could have come in. Not like he's much of an attacker. Maybe Jaden Reed. But our attacking depth is a little low, so I don't fault him for bringing in Stroud. I just worry at the time that he did, especially that MLS is allowing for five substitutions. Is he using that weapon to its full effect? That's uh, that's really the big question, and like just adding on to what you're saying, that attacking depth, uh, even last season, it was really, really lacking, and you know that's why they really signed Elias, and you know when you get rid of Klamala and bring in Vanzier, you're not really adding depth. You just you could say you're upgrading Klamala if you want to go go to that extent, but you're still really lacking an attacking piece off the bench, which leads me to say, also I know Sergio Gomez injured, but what happened to Wiki Carmona? Struber used to love him. I'm sorry, you cut out for a second. What happened to Wiki Carmona? Wiki Carmona, man. What a guy. Short King. I'm not sure. He got injured a lot. Showed a lot of flashes, but still really raw. Uh, he wasn't on the injury report last night, if I can remember. So, one of those Red Bulls mysteries. Yeah, it's a lot of mysteries with the team. Well, we had a, a good chance. Uh, Gillespie made some couple saves at the end of the game. Orlando wins 1-0. So, overall, what are some big thoughts you have about the game uh, looking forward and what you would probably do in the next game? 
So what I'd like to see is a response. Again, as I said earlier, this is a very Red Bull loss. There are some good takeaways you can take from this. Four, four triple two worked pretty well. But the crucial thing is, can we close out games? Can we make the right in-game adjustments and ultimately just start finishing the chances they were creating and create more high-quality opportunities more consistently? Yeah. So I think this was a decent start despite not gaining any points. However, it's absolutely crucial that against Nashville, we improve upon this and actually start making the final pass, putting the final shot on target, start testing the keeper more. Because right now it's just a bunch of half chances. You know, it's time to bring up the question, should Lucanius be a starter on his team? Well, that's quite the question. He is the designated player, so you want to have him on the field as much as possible just simply because of the money. Has he justified that DP tag? Not I'm not sure. Had a really had a really hot start in his debut year, but kind of faded out really quickly after that. That being said, we don't necessarily have the options behind him, so I'd say stick it out. Obviously, he's got potential. He's a great dribbler, very direct player, probably our most creative player on the squad besides maybe a Morgan and Omir. So I'd say stick him out, see what he can do. It's not like we got better options. That's the thing. I feel the team definitely is, uh, and I really hope they don't wait till August to do it. I don't know. Do we have another U22 spot? I feel like we do. I know we have another DP spot. Yeah, we definitely have another DP. We we need another uh, player in that position because unless they're really counting on Sergeant Goldman and Peter Stroud to really be game changers, they really need something different. Whether it's a guy that takes Lucania's spot or a guy that can like get in for him, you know, in the seventh minute, because Lewis Morgan can't be the most dangerous player we have every game. That just can't be. He really needs someone on the other side to at least help him somewhat. Because Morgan will be dangerous in any game, but you can't count on him to score in every game. So, That's true. I don't know. I feel like Lucania's. He got. I'm not sure if he had COVID sometime in the spring or, or like early summer. Or he had a back injury, but he hasn't been the same since last summer, and he started so well. So I'm not sure what happened. It kind of feels like he's behind the pace somewhat. Yeah, I mean, MLS grind is no joke. You have all these big stars, Iguain, Bale, that come to MLS, things can walk in the park, and then say late, like two months later, oh, no, this is actually difficult. And Lucinius, definitely after the brunt of the summer, I'm sure he's used to hot summers, but the slog, the travel. yeah. I, I'd imagine it definitely got to him. Yeah. But still, again, one of our best players at his peak should justify that DP tag, in my opinion. Exactly. And, you know, playing in Florida, it's like a jungle down there. But another player I want to talk about is Mr. Cameron Harper. Cameron Harper, he won't win every duel 1v1, but he's an aggressive right back. And that's one thing you have to appreciate about him. The winger or slash midfielder side that he was in early in his career really does come out in that right-back position. I think he had a very aggressive game. Once he could consistently, I guess, whip in crosses and beat his first man, I think he could be a real asset, even off the bench for us. What did you make about Cameron's uh, play? Uh, well, I've been a Cameron Harper truther since day one, I'm proud to say. So I was really glad to see him get the start yesterday. Obviously, he started his career as a winger at Celtic. Moved to right wing back about halfway through last season to provide some depth for Duncan and Dylan Nealis. Yeah. So then yesterday was his first start at real right back. I thought he looked good. 
I was worried what he's going to do defensively, but looks like he's been practicing. His positioning was all right. I thought he was a little narrow sometimes, a little slow to close down the passer, but he definitely made up for it with his offensive output. You could see one-on-one, like you said, he was taking on his man, beating him pretty consistently, whipping balls into the box, even if they weren't the best, but showed real promise at that right-back spot. And when we're a little clogged with Lucinius hogging up so much game time at the, on the right wing, he could really be an asset if he continues to develop as a more defensive right back. I absolutely agree. Hopefully he has a lot more play this season. He's been here for a little bit. But after a break, we're going to talk about the 2012 TV series Nashville. See you guys soon. On the next Sopranos. You know that Georgetown is a total reach for me. Oh, please. They'd be crazy not to want you. Jeannie, I need to ask you a favor. Carmela, ask me, Joan. What do you think they're going to do? Put you in cement boots over a college application? You should help them out. Help them out? You're going to put beans in your ramp. If you need help, you talk to me. Fury, all right? We are for the money. The money? Hey, I want him where I can see him. Ever lose his end on my niece again? I'm gonna tear them apart piece by piece. Just go away, Christopher. If you miss The Sopranos at 8, catch a special encore tomorrow night at 9. We're getting to something here. Time's up. Now, stay tuned for an HBO movie event. If these walls could talk to. Welcome back to the Energy Drink Soccer Program Syndicated. How did you become a Tom Barlow fan? Kenny walks one over the top for Barlow. He does. Barlow hits it down. I become a Tom Barlow fan. I actually recently published a piece on my medium about this. This is a shameless plug. But I was about 14. Uh, I went to my first Red Bulls game. Uh, I had just become a fan of the, se- the team. I just become a fan of the team the season prior because I was watching the Atlanta United playoff that we lost. I think it was 4 1 in aggregate. So I went to a matchup against Atlanta United in person. And it was super stressful because Tim Parker got sent off really early. And then I think it was like 70, late 70th minute. Uh, who was it? I think Danny Royer. Danny Royer whipped in a cross, great cross, to this guy I had never heard of. And he plants a, plants a header, far post, past Greg Guzan. I go nuts, the crowd goes nuts. And it's Tom Barlow. And later on, I learned that it was, that was his first ever MLS goal. And I just fell in love with him ever since because he just runs a lot. And I think it's really funny. I think I remember that game actually. That was that was May that year. Oh yeah, I remember that. That was I think Pity played that game. He played absolutely horrible. Yeah, it was an ugly, ugly game. Yeah, prime prime Tom Barlow from Red Bull two to Red Bull. He had a really good first year. He had a really good first year. He had like five different coaches since then. But you know, I really do feel this formation is really set up for him because he's not gonna be as isolated as he has been in past years. Where our strikers have just been since BWP left, they haven't gotten anything. They're just just getting a free cardio session. I really just feel like that. Honestly, I mean, it's the. I feel like a lot of the times when Red Bull struggle, it kind of devolves into long ball city. Uh, I still shudder at the days when Danny Royer was playing up top. All I think he's like five eight, and we were just hitting long ball after long ball after long ball to the poor guy. He wasn't winning any duels. And it's just a shame what we've done to the lone strikers. But when we have played with two strikers back in 2020, 2021 with Klamala and Fabio, again, big man, little man combo. You got the big guy hitting nice layoffs. The little guy can run onto them, take a shot. 
works really well for a guy like Barlow, who's more than happy to provide the layoffs. And last time we saw some of that with Manuel. So hopefully we can develop a partnership with someone. Yeah. You know, MLS put a team in Tennessee. What do you think about that? I keep forgetting Tennessee exists, honestly. I'm glad they put it in Nashville, though. That's the only city from there I actually know of. So, Let's play a game. Oh, no. The game is called Over or Under. And let's put a team in Nashville in 2020. Or they started in 2020. The game is called Over and Under. I will say, I will say a statement about Nashville. And you will have to go with over or under. Are you ready? I'm legally not old enough to gamble, but I'll try. First question. The population of Nashville is 800,000. Over or under? 800,000? Yes. It has to be under now. How do you know that? I'm actually a Nashville resident. You live in Tennessee? No, I just lied. Oh, that is one of the requirements to come in this show. Sorry. Next question. Over or under? Or we could really say before or after. Nashville was founded in 1800. I don't think anything is real before 1800, so I'm going to say after. Oh, well, it's like 1779. Huh. I wonder what side they were in the Civil War. Who told you that? Over or under? Hmm. I'm not sure I should ask this one. The tallest building in Nashville is over 700 feet. Over. It's under 617. Wow. Is that Numbers don't feel real after 500. Uh, the second biggest... Uh, building in Nashville is a Four Seasons. That's pretty funny. Last one. Over or under. There are three professional teams in Nashville. Oof. Okay. You got Nashville SC. Yes. And I can't name any other one, so I'm going to say under. Correct answer is over. There are four. Bonus points if you can name three of them. Well, can you give me the sports? There's a football team there. There's a hockey team. Good luck. And oh. Not there. The Tennessee Titans. Yes. I don't follow hockey. Is the Panthers or Predators? Well, this isn't a hockey show. This is a second division American soccer show. So let's talk about Nashville SC. They beat the other team yesterday 2-0. Um, what did you take about, you know... This is how they played in that game. How they were last season in Nashville. So I actually had the privilege of watching the first half of that game, NYC Nashville. Thanks, Apple TV. This is not sponsored. And Nashville looked really good. Uh, they have a really, really solid squad. Very USL-like. So like an MLS, Atletico Madrid. Had some great names. Daniel Lovitz plays for them. Did you know that? That's a, that's a beautiful name. That's a real throwback. They got Jacob Schaffelberg. Sean Davis, rest in peace. Teal, Teal Bunbury? This team would be amazing in 2015. They're amazing now. I mean, great names, great hair, but most importantly, great play. A really solid team. One of the, the best defenses in the league. The last time they were in the Eastern Conference back in 2021. 
So really strong defense. But attacking-wise, they're no slouch either. Had a pretty good attack last year that carried them all the way to the first round of the playoffs. And last night, uh, I saw a lot of wing play from them. NYCFC were doing pretty good clog in the midfield, but they were finding some really good outlets in Schaffelberg. And their new guy, Picol, from Houston, just quite from Houston left this offseason. And yeah. they were dangerous, creating consistent chances. NYCFC, I don't remember see, have, watching them have a shot and eventually ran out 2-0 winners. Pretty easy one. Yeah, they really dominated the game. They were great in the first half. And, uh, you know, they do have that bipolar um, syndrome of being in a different conference each year. But going back to what you're saying, their defense, ever since they came in the league, has been pretty tout. And, I mean, they have a defensive head coach in Gary Smith. And the guy who's really leading all is Walker Zimmerman, who scored the opening goal. You know, was leading that golden boot race for about 20 minutes. Great Um, celebration, too. Yeah, exactly. He's probably the most dangerous player in uh, set pieces. That's including strikers, midfielders, and all of MLS. He's just, he's an amazing jumper. He knows how to get his head on the ball. He had the misfortune of playing for the national team. But, uh, you know, he's still an amazing player. So how do we get past his national defense? How do we uh, take advantage of them? I mean, Nashville, they're going to be resilient. They're going to be tough. We've faced low blocks before, and Red Bulls have not looked good in possession. So it's going to be a good litmus test to see how we can do with the ball at our feet. Because Nashville, like you said, Gary Smith, a very defensive coach, he's going to know what the Red Bulls' weakness is. So, again, like I said, quick interplay. Take shots when you have them. And try and play in behind. Hope for the best. Yeah, I really have to hope for the best. But um, the real game changer in Nashville is our reigning MVP, Mr. Hani Mukhtar. He came off the bench, so we'll see if he even starts the next game. Probably will. And you could just see his influence from immediately when he got on the field. He knows his league like the back of his hand. He's dominated in it. And, you know, we're definitely going to be uh, facing that low block with them. And it's going to be Hani and the counter with Schaffelberg and uh, Picolt. How do we stop Hani Mukhtar from uh, making us more depressed? Well, Hani Mukhtar is the kind of guy he likes to drop in between the lines. Not really a 10, not really a striker. It's kind of like that whoever ends up starting this Saturday, tracking Mukhtar. Make sure he doesn't have too much time to make decisions. I think we'll be all right against him. My real question is, can we stop the outlets that he does end up finding? And that's going to be the real question for New York, their wing defense. Dax McCarty, Alex Mule, Sean Davis. Why do all our players end up going to Nashville? Taxes. New Jersey taxes are crazy. Got to live that Southern lifestyle. Exactly. Wait, why is Alex Mule listed as a homegrown player for them? Alex Mule, I barely remember him. I've been told he was the running guy before Barlow was, so I'll always yeah. respect that. The good old <sighs> Alex Mule days. Well, let's talk about our team, the Metro. I mean, the Red Bulls. Would you go with the same lineup, um, even if Van Zier is uh, ready to go? Or do you try to uh, try to ease in Van Zier? Or pretty much, do you even want to see Van Zier uh, start, or do you want to bring him off the bench? I think Van Zier is a guy to bring off the bench, even if he is ready within a week. MLS isn't a, week, isn't a league where players typically start off well, especially in the Red Bull system. The pressing is so specific that he's probably not going to be completely ready in a week anyway. So 
I thought last night's lineup was pretty good. Um, if Drew Yearwood is ready, maybe swap him out for Amaya. But I thought the starting lineup was good. Just a question of when we do make those changes, because we will need changes, because players are going to get tired. Can't see we make the right ones at the right times. What about Kyle Duncan? I'm not gonna lie. I don't even like Kyle Duncan that much. I'm sure. No. I'm sure he's a great guy. Not but cool guy, but me too. He's 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 probably a cool guy. But attacking wise, a little one dimensional. Um, mainly a dribble dribble merchant. Uh, defensively, he has suffered some costly errors over the years. So while he will always be near and dear in my heart, I like the Cameron Harper project. Younger guy, a lot of upside. I'd like to see him get another start over a guy who, with Kyle Duncan, may have already hit a ceiling with this club, in all honesty. Yeah, I mean, I was kind of surprised they brought him back because, you know, Struber kind of didn't even, like, favor him by the end of it. He didn't even start the playoff game. I'm pretty sure we started, like, some guy who just came over him, but... No, it's, uh, yeah, what he does bring is versatility. He was used as part of a back three towards the tail end of last season. He can play right back. He can play right wing back. So he's a good guy to have on the bench, provides a lot of defensive cover. But as a starter at, what is he, 26 now? I don't think he's the right way to go anymore. Yeah. I think we need to start phasing into some younger guys. So I'm not sure if you remember, the last time he played Nashville was Decision Day 2021. We just needed a draw to make the playoffs, and um, Fabio Gomez whew, scored a night game. Good old times of finishing mid-table. Well, we also beat them again that season, so I'm not sure if uh, Nashville, you know, really do remember that, and hopefully it's kind of seem like the same team. Hopefully they don't get mad about that and they let us win our home opener because we really do need it. But, um... Yeah, so what are your overall predictions? Uh, what do you want to see in the game, or what do you think will happen? Against Nashville, we talked about it earlier. We're likely going to see a low block, so not necessarily excited, but hopeful we'll see something different than the Red Bulls have previously done against low blocks, which is just long ball after long ball. If we can figure out the formula, then I think we should be good to go against Nashville because on paper, we're a very good side. Finished fourth in the East last season. Projected to finish even higher this year. So I like our chances against Nashville. I think if we put in a good Red Bulls performance, we can definitely make a statement to the rest of the league. Absolutely. Well, Greg, thank you for coming on. Where can we find you online? I'm on Twitter, Martinez Not Jose. I'm also on Medium on the same name. And I am nowhere else in this world. I do not exist outside of online spaces. And before we go, I want to let the great people of View from 202 um, update them that the balloon is still surfacing. Keep sending the payments. Have trust. Keep sending the payments. But thank you for coming on. This has been the Energy Drink Soccer Show!